Okay, uh, Verizon says 10.30. And this is a phenomenal chapter in the great divorce. So I don't want to slight this chapter. It's hard to believe after today we have two weeks left and we'll finish the great divorce. Um, You notice in chapter 11, there's two encounters going on. So as soon as you see that, just like when you see it in the Gospels, um, the author probably wants you to compare and contrast. Uh, For instance, in Luke chapter 10, story of the Good Samaritan, you know, go and do. What, do you remember what comes after the story of the Good Samaritan? The story between Martha and Mary. There's a reason for that. Go and do, sit at the feet of Jesus and reflect. You know, so whenever you see that kind of stuff happening in written literature of any sort, the author is trying to say, compare and contrast these. You know, people who write tend to put some thought, particularly the New Testament, there's thought and inspiration behind why, what you find in chapter 10 of Luke, you find in chapter 10 of Luke. And you have the Good Samaritan and Martha and Mary story coming next to each other. Because you're, you're meant to compare and contrast. So, obviously, when you have two stories put in one chapter, chapter 11, uh, C.S. Lewis wants you to kind of think about these two. And um, give you a little bit of thought about thinking about these two. Both involve, both involve love becoming a demon. Uh, C.S. Lewis at the end of his life, near the end of his life, after he learned more about love uh, by marrying Joy Davidman late in life, he wrote his book called The Four Loves where he talks about the four different kinds of love. Um, we assume, after he married Joy Davidman, he, he learned about the eros type of love. He knew about the other three before that, but uh, he wrote the book Four Loves after, um, after, after he married Joy Davidman. Uh, in that book, Four Loves, probably the greatest lesson to take from that book is the fact that... In human beings, you've got that which is sinful, that which is natural, and both can become demons. Um, It's easier for us to make demons out of good things than evil things. Because most of us, particularly sitting in this room, um, and the audience to whom Mr. Lewis usually spoke to, we don't tend to make demons out of evil things. You know, unless you, you know... I know everybody has a hidden part of their life, but I hope you don't have some hidden part of your life where you're doing something really, really, really evil and making it demonic. But what normal people, particularly in the Christian faith, do is they take things that are meant to be good. Uh, They're meant to be um, um, gifts from God. And they're used in bad, inordinate ways. Uh, it was Augustine who taught a lot of us that one of the tricks to the spiritual life is properly ordering our loves. Because we have a lot of them. We have a lot of them. Um, 
And again, you know, when C.S. Lewis wrote The Four Loves, he was doing the, the four Greek words for love, and, and they're very specific, different kinds of love. You know, when the human, I mean, when the, when the English-speaking world, we're a little bit um, impoverished because we just have the word love, and I'm sure you've heard me say how ridiculous it is. In our language, we love God, we love our wife, and we love hot dogs. Um, so, yeah, particularly in the English-speaking world, you'd better work on love. You'd better make sure you're ordering your loves properly. I hope it is God, wife, hot dogs. <laughs> I hope. You've got to order your loves properly. Uh, with the two instances that you see in chapter 11, one is mother love, good thing. The other one is probably... Probably sexual love, sexual express, that's a good thing, gifts from God. But either can become demonic if, if they're used in ways that God doesn't intend for them to be used, um, if they become uh, an end in themselves. So whether it's um, the mother love or the lust, they're both gifts that God has given the human race that we use inappropriately. One of the things, though, just to get kind of to the conclusion before we look at the story, in this story, you see finally someone goes through the pain to be changed to inherit the heavenly life, right? Gets the lizard cut off his back. So lust gets taken care of. You wandered away from Pam, still trying to argue about getting to Michael. I think C.S. Lewis would say, and by the way, this is a good theology. I think C.S. Lewis would still say that the sins of the Spirit are much harder to deal with than sins of the flesh. Sins of the Spirit we can hide, they're deeper. Whether it's... Whether it's um, Misguided love, whether it's jealousy, whether it's envy, whether it's rage. You know, sometimes we can go on a diet and, get, we can go on a diet and take care of gluttony. Um, go join AA and take care of, of that. I, but they're both, neither one of them are good. You don't want to be, you don't want to turn anything into an idol. But sins of, because the problem is we sort of focus on sins of the flesh. I can see that lizard on your shoulder. We sort of focus on sins of the flesh. And sins of the spirit we can get by with easier. But notice which one gets taken care of in this chapter and which one doesn't. Notice which one, you know, it took some major surgery, but that lizard becomes a beautiful white stallion, becomes a gift. You know, that vice conquered, that sin overcome, becomes um, a virtue, became strength and power. and Yeah, Pam's still over there trying to do what she wants to do to Michael. So again, keep, keep those main things in mind. There's a reason why Pam, uh, Pam and that conversation takes place right before the guy with the lizard in this chapter because he wants you to kind of notice that. So with that being said, let's look at the chapter. 
Um, you know, I've read this stuff probably m- many, many times. Every time I read it, I see something, I see something new and fresh. Like, for instance, and I'm sure I've read it a lot. I, I finally took notice this time that the spirit who helped take care of the lizard, who took care of the lizard, is referred to uh, in chapter 11, is referred to as, just some trivia here, as the burning one. You know what the burning one is in Hebrew? The seraph, as in seraphim. It's an order of angels. Yeah, that's what burning one means. Anyway, every time I read this stuff, I, I see stuff that I, I flew past the first time. And um, chapter 11 is very, very significant. So look at, look at the beginning of chapter 11. Um, and notice, Lewis starts off saying, one of the most painful meetings. Because you're going to see mother love gone wrong. One of the most painful meetings is this woman, her name's Pam, meets her brother, Reginald, um, there in the hinterlands of heaven. And uh, as soon as she gets off the bus, what's the most important thing she wants to do first? See Michael. See her son. And again, that's not wrong. We all understand that. We all understand that. Um, but Reginald says to her, 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 her guide, her spirit, Reginald says to her, um, you can't right now because you've got to be thickened up a bit. Now, what does it mean when he says she has to be thickened up a bit? Become more heavenly. Yeah, become more heavenly, become more substantial, become, become more accustomed uh, to heaven, become more at home in heaven. You've got to be thickened up a bit. Um, part of that thickening up, Reginald says, is, um, you know, it'll happen, you'll get to see Michael when you learn to want someone else beside Michael. You know, someone and else are capitalized. Um, it only takes, notice, same paragraph on page 98, it only takes a little germ of desire for God that we need to start the process. You know, mustard seed. You know, if your desire really is for God, if you, if you desire for your greatest desire to be for God, if you, would, if you will want that your greatest want will be for God, if you will develop a passion to developing a passion first and foremost for God. God can work with that. If, if you want to head in that direction, God can work in that, with that. He's gracious, he's kind, he's, he's long-suffering. But if, if, if God is like fifth on your list, yeah, he has a hard time working with that one. Well, obviously here, Michael's first on her list. You know, God would be an afterthought. Um, on the top of page, toward the top, toward the top of page 99, you're treating God only as a means to Michael. But the whole thickening treatment, becoming heavenly, consists in learning to want God for his own sake. Give me some examples. What does it mean to want God for his own sake? 
What's the opposite? What's different from wanting God for, for God's own sake? What you can get out of them. What He can do for you. How He can comfort you. The list goes on. And that's, again, not bad stuff. But, you know, if you went and married that, you guys in the room, if you went and married that woman because you wanted a good cook, there's a problem there. I mean, hopefully you wanted that person for something else. You wanted that person for the sake of that person. You know. Um, yeah, we do that with God. You know, God becomes like a bottle of Tylenol on the shelf. We know how to take it off when we need it. Um, we invite Him into our lives when it might be helpful to us. Um, that, that's, yeah, you, you, can, you can kind of be into the God thing, but not really desire God first and foremost. And again, if you want a Bible verse behind all of this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Leviticus 19, Old Testament. But of course, Jesus quoted that and said that's the greatest of all commandments. So you can't just want God because He can get you out of some tough spots. He, he can do that. But you've got to desire God for God. You know, I remember it was... Um, um, it was up at Asbury one time, Quentin. Uh, I was at a conference. One of my heroes in the faith who's long gone now, Dennis Kenlaw, was preaching. And... He, he talked about desiring God's heart more, you, more than you desire God's hand. And what he was getting at was we want what he can give us. We always look in his, in his hand, what, what's in his hand that he's given to us. We got to desire God's heart. We got to want God for God. We want to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Um. That's why the most important thing you can ever do theologically is learn more and more and more and more about the character of God, about the nature of God, who He is. Everything else is secondary to that. Well, that's what, that's what Reginald, the Spirit, is saying to Pam here. You, you, you can't, you've got to desire God first and foremost. You've got to learn to want someone else besides Michael. You've got to learn to think about God more than yourself. Think about God more than your golf game. Think about God more than your family. Think about God. The list goes on. God, there's no way God can be the afterthought to whatever the first thought is. Um, it's not new theology in the Christian faith. Um, it's not new theology. Well, of course, Pam does not react well to this. Uh, you know, if you were a mother, you would understand. It's sort of what she brings back uh, to Reginald. Um, and then, of course, Reginald at the bottom of page 99 says, human beings can't make one another really happy for long. And again, we've got to learn, you know, the people that want to be part of your life and being part of your life, they want you to feel responsible for their happiness. That's exhausting. We can't be responsible for each other's happiness. 
Um, that's, that's God's role. I, when I do premarital counseling, I always say to couples, don't expect something from your spouse that is only to be expected from God. You know, you know, my spouse compliments me, completes me, fulfills me, blah, blah. Sounds good. It gets you on Oprah Winfrey. But it should be only God that completes you, that completes you and fulfills you and makes you be the person you want to be. You know, if, if somebody comes at me with that language, it's more responsibility than I want to handle. I can't be responsible for your happiness. And we need to be careful making somebody else whoever that is, responsible for my happiness. Tammy and I have a phrase we say to each other periodically, usually when we get on each other's nerves. You know, we remind each other, you know, I didn't take you to raise. <laughs> you got to be careful about And human relationships are tough, they're difficult, they're hard, and keeping them in proper perspective takes a lot of work. And our culture really does not know how to do relationships. You know, we'll walk away from the Christian faith if I can be in the relationship with the person I want to be in relationship with. I mean, just keep thinking about that. You know, you've got to desire God first. Jesus made that really clear. Um, but notice, C.S. Lewis does say, you know, and Reginald's trying to answer Pam because, no, Reginald's not a mother, but... He, he gets this right. He gets all this right on, on toward the top of page 100. You cannot love a fellow creature fully till you love God. If you want to love Michael, you got to love God first and foremost. If you want to love Michael well, if you want to love Michael in the true sense of the word love, you got to put God first. I see people all the time putting their children first. And they think that's the most loving thing for their children. It's not. Um, you, you, they need to see your relationship to God. After that, they need to see a strong marriage. After that, they need to feel a, the security of a good home. Yeah, you know, letting them set the calendar may not be the thing they mean most. Letting them set the family calendar may not be the thing they need most. Um, yeah, that's... Pam's problem is not she loves, and this is clear, it's not that she loves Michael too much, but she loves Michael what? More than God. Well, too, and too little. Yeah, if she loved God first, she'd really be able to love Michael then. Now she just possesses Michael. She uses Michael for what she can get out of Michael. She's in relationship with Michael because it makes her feel good. She's in The list goes on. You know, some people love to rescue folks, and they'll find somebody to rescue whether you want to be rescued or not, they'll try to rescue you because they need to rescue people. You know, if you love God first and foremost, then you really can love these other people in your life. If not, you really run the risk of using these other people in your life to get what you want, to make you feel good. Um, yeah, I hope you've underlined that in here. You cannot love a fellow creature fully till you love God. Yeah, C.S. Lewis is real clear. Um, we, we accept, le you know, we always settle for less as human beings. We take lust instead of, instead of real sexual fulfillment. We take some weird definition of love instead of real, true love. 
you know, we always settle for less. And, and, and God wants us to settle for more, to settle for what God's offering us. Really love the people in your life. Um, really find pleasure. I don't know what a lot of people are finding in this culture. Maybe they're finding release. I don't know what they're finding. But find pleasure, find love in this life. God's more in favor of you doing that than you are. We go to the substitutes. We, we, go, we, we settle for less. C.S. Lewis says that over and over and over in his writings. Um, Pam was not being, shocker, was not being a good mother, was not loving um, Michael well, because um, she, she didn't have her loves ordered appropriately. Um, she was using Michael. Michael meant a lot to her in the sense that it helped her be fulfilled. I see some parents who kind of live vicariously through their children. That's a little strange if you stop to think about it. Um, anyway. And then on the... On the on the tail end of that, notice down further, Reginald says, Pam, Pam, no natural feelings are high or low, holy or unholy in themselves. They are all holy when God's hand is on the rain. They all go bad when they set, when they set up on their own and make themselves into false gods. Another word for false gods is demons, by the way. Compliments to the Apostle Paul. That's another word for false gods. So, there, you know, that, that which is natural to us is not necessarily good or bad. When God's hand is on the rain, it becomes holy. When we just kind of do it the way we want to do it and it becomes something, because we will misuse it. We'll use people and we'll misuse it, whether it's with the next guy, pleasure, or this lady, mother, love. Those are good things. Those are really good things. But human beings, you know, we can mess just about anything up. Up. That's, that's who we are. And we, because our selfish nature, we can, again, incrivatus and say, our, we're turned into ourselves. We can even make our children about us if we aren't careful. And, you know, anyway, I think some of you have had a lot more history parenting than I am. Um, I have raised my kids. I've got two granddaughters now, so I'm watching it happen again. Yeah, this raising kids is hard. It's an art form. But we need to be really, really careful about, about all of our relationships. So, um, and, you, and you notice on page 101, Pam even says, if I, if I had possessed Michael, I'd be perfectly happy even in that town. What town is she talking about? I could be happy in hell if I could take Michael with me. That's not love. That's not love. Um, you know, and then her grief, which grief is terrible, her grief made her ignore her, her husband and daughter, if you noticed. Anyway, our natural affections, our natural emotions need to be converted. That's core, basic Christianity. Um, uh, I notice there's even that line that, and this is hard. Sanctification is hard. 
Growing in faith is hard. Being conformed to the image of Christ is hard. It's painful. It's like having some a lizard cut off our shoulder. It's hard. But you notice, you know, Rachel even makes a reference to having your whole life dominated by the tyranny of the past. You know, I, I, I think I said on my second Sunday in the pulpit at Weston Memorial, some of you need to go ahead, go ahead and give up all hope of ever having a better past. I mean, some people are still trying to redo that somehow. Well, you can't, you can't redo it. You can get over it. Or at least try, want to, get over it. Don't just be tyrannized by the past. Uh, against, against having their whole life dominated by the tyranny of the past. Okay, then of course, you get to the climax or at least for Pam. She blows her stack, as I used to hear in the old days. She blows her stack. On page 102, how dare you laugh about it? Give me, my bo- give me my boy. Do you hear? I don't care about all your rules and regulations. I don't believe in a God who keeps mother and son apart. I believe in a God of love. I get so tired of people saying that. They justify everything they want to justify. With that, and C.S. Lewis is saying the same thing, by the way. I believe in a God of love. Um, well, I do too, but it's a holy love. It's a righteous love. It's a true love. It's not a love. It's not, it's not indulgence parading as love. But usually when I hear somebody say, I believe in a God of love, what they're saying is, I believe in a God of indulgence. I believe in a God who lets you off the hook. I believe in a God who doesn't care what you do. You know, I think children, if they grow up in a home, and their parents don't go to the trouble of caring about what they do. Children may think they enjoy it, but they grow up with a sense that mom and dad didn't want to put enough effort into me making their life difficult by them trying to make me do stuff I didn't want to do. Um, Yeah, sometimes, you know, love does not mean indulgence. Love does not mean, you know, giving you a pass on everything you want to do. That's, that's not love. Again, that's why when you hear some, like our culture, say ridiculous things like love is love. By the way, I was trained, I had to take logic. That is called a tautology. The, the Catholic monks teaching me Aristotle taught me that's a tautology. What that means is when I say love is love, that's a tautology, which means what I've just said was absolutely nothing. It means nothing. you got to define one of those. You know, if I say air is air, well, I haven't told you what air is. Our culture puts that all over Facebook now. And people say, ooh, that's profound. (laughs) It's just a weird world we're in. Yeah, I mean, again, you probably weren't trained to know what a tautology is, but yeah, love is love, air is air, food is food. None of that says anything. So define love. I believe in a God of love. No one had a right to come between me and my son, not even God. Tell him that to his face. I want my boy. I want my boy. I mean to have him. You know, Lewis wants you to hear all the possessive language here. He is mine. Do you understand? Mine, 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 forever and ever. He, he will be, Pam. She has a chance to live with him forever. He will be, Pam. Every, everything will be yours. God himself will be yours, but not that way. Nothing can be yours by nature. Uh, 
What? Not my own son born out of my own body? And where's your own body now? Didn't you know that nature draws to an end? Look, the sun is coming over the mountains there. It'll be up at any moment now. Michael is mine. How yours? How yours? You didn't make him. Nature made him to grow in your body without your will. Even against your will, you sometimes forget you didn't intend to have a baby then at all. Michael was originally an accident. Well, that set her in orbit. Who told you that? He's in heaven. Who told you that? said the ghost, and then recovering itself. It's a lie. It's not true. And it's no business of yours. I hate your religion, and I hate and despise your God. I believe in a God of love. <laughs> yeah. Um, the conversation goes on. Pam, don't know if she gets redeemed or not. Don't know if she's willing to make God first so that she could be in a relationship with Michael. She just wants Michael. So you notice there's a break in the, in the, in the, in the chapter here, an extra space. Um, why did you bring me away, sir? You know, McDonald's still showing, um, showing him around. So why did you bring me away, sir? Uh, said I when I had passed out of earshot of this unhappy ghost. It might take a long while, that conversation said my teacher, and uh, you have heard enough to see what the blank is. What? What is? Choice. Again, the point of the book is not giving you the geography and the topology of heaven. The point of the book is talking about the power of choosing, the power of how you live your life. The power, are you becoming more heavenly or are you becoming more hellish? Um, yeah, and you've heard enough to see what the choice is. I think I know what Pam's going to choose. She's going to choose hell, and she would take Michael there. Uh, uh, is, there is there any hope for her, sir? Aye, there's some member of McDonald's Scottish. Aye, there's some. What she calls her love for her son has turned into a poor, prickly, astringent, possessive, selfish. You, you can keep adding the adjectives there. Has turned into a poor, prickly, astringent sort of thing. But there's still a wee spark of something that's not just herself in it, um, that might be blown into a flame. So maybe there is something in her. Maybe we don't know how the story ends for Pam. Anyway, so you go on. Well, you notice to a great quotation at the top of page 105, brass is mistaking for gold more easily than clay is. Yeah, we'll take brass and we think it's gold. You know, we'll take the good things, mother love, patriotism. The list goes on. It's the good things we have to watch. Alcohol can be a good thing. Um, you know, Jesus drank wine. He took the cup. He gave it to us. But, yeah, we, we can mess anything up, uh, given a nature of incravato say and say, um, yeah, we can about mess anything up. And that's why we can, you know, we, take, we, we settle for the brass thinking it's gold, when it's only clay, and we don't progress on to the, to the better stuff. If you really want to love Michael, you got to love God. Work on your love for God if you want to work on your love for, for Michael. So we meet this next character. Meet this next character. Um, and, you know, this, this next character is, um, 
He's dark and oily. So he already feels a little slimy when you meet him. And on his shoulder is a little red lizard. Well, you're going to find out what the lizard is. Um, what's the other idiom in English? Not a lizard on your shoulder, but a what? Devil on your shoulder. Sometimes, don't they say something about a monkey on your shoulder? Something on your back. What's on your back? Monkey's on your back. Okay. Yeah. So we have a strange language, don't we? Um, yeah. Can you some, imagine telling somebody from Mars that your husband has a, has a monkey on his back? I mean, but yeah. Anyway, this guy has a lizard on his shoulder. Has a lizard on his shoulder. Um, and the lizard is whispering into his ear. Even while the spirit is talking to him about the new land, the, the, the lizard's whispering into his ear. And on page 107, pick up the conversation. Would you like me to make him quiet? Said the flaming spirit, the burning one, an angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel taking a step forward. Oh, uh, uh, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost retreating. Don't you want, don't you want him killed? Uh, you, you didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, well, that's a further question. I, I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I, I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's, get this, it's so damned embarrassing. <laughs> Word damn there's theological. It's so damned embarrassing. Yeah, you can't take this to heaven. May I kill it? Well, there, there, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never been, meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, uh, don't, don't, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it all, it'll be all right now. Thank, thank, thank you ever so much. May I kill it? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I, I'm sure I should be able to keep it in order now. Uh, I, think, I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. This is what we say like on January the 1st every year. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you said very carefully. I, I honestly will. In, in fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. Don't feel like going to church today. It would be, more, it would be most silly to do it now. I, I need to be in good health for that operation. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Uh, get back. You're burning me. How, how can I tell you to kill it? You, you'd kill me if you did. It's not so. Why are you hurting me now? I never said it would not hurt you. I said it would not kill you. Oh, I know, you, you think I'm a coward, but it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back by, let me run back by tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor. Let me go ask my doctor in hell.
about this surgery. I'll come again the first moment I can. Well, who believes that? This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You are jeering at me. How can I let you tear me in pieces? If, if you want to help me, why didn't you kill the damned thing without asking me? Before I knew it, it would be all over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? This guy has enjoyed his lust most of the time. I know people who enjoy their anger. I know people who enjoy their tempers. Their tempers keep people from walking all over them. We can actually enjoy our sins. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even, even I, says Lewis, the visitor, I could hear what he was saying. Be careful, it said. He, he can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You, you'd only be sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold-bloodless abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for you. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't, aren't they better than nothing? And, and I'll be so good, I'll let you control me and not mess up your life. I'll be so good, I'll admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I, I promise I won't do it again. I'll just go spend two hours in the casino. I won't lose a bunch of money. I'll give you nothing but, but really nice dreams. All sweet and fresh and almost, almost innocent. You might say quite innocent. Have I your permission? Said the angel to the ghost. I knew it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. That's where people have to get to. Better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may, says the angel. Damn it, blast you, go on. Can't you get it over? Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering. God help me, God help me. That's a good place to get to. It's a good place to get to. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony, such as I never heard on earth. Sanctification can hurt. Pruning hurts. Life is about loss. That's what it, your, your journey of your life is going to be a, a picture of losses. And sometimes God asks us to let go of some things in order to, to, to get to a new place, different place. All of our losses are painful. They're all painful. Some of our losses, even though they may be a good loss like this one, are still painful. Um... You know, this person's lust had become part of his life. This person didn't know life without his lust. This person wouldn't know what to do without lust helping him to schedule his days. You know, it was scary. Well, you know, think about those, another Bible verse, Bible text. Think about those people who left the slavery in Egypt. And after a while... <laughs> and, you know, got a little tough out there in the desert. What did they say to Moses they wanted to do? Go back. Go back. 
I'd rather go back to the slavery I know, the pain I know, than the pain of something new, something different, life that's different. Um, you know, for those of you that know the Chronicles of Narnia, um, Aslan the lion, um, he's not safe, but he's good. God will hurt you, but he won't harm you. He'll let you be hurt if you prefer that. He'll let you be hurt, but he won't harm you. I mean, this life is such a short period of time. And again, our goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Can't do that with a lizard on your shoulder. Um, you can't do that if you desire Michael more than you desire God. Our goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And uh, that takes some work. Again, God bothering us, C.S. Lewis calls God's intolerable compliment. Um, yeah, I joke about it. I was joking about it yesterday as somebody. I, I, I'm glad God is bothering us. God's growing us up. God is letting stuff into our lives that will sanctify us. Um, but I joke about it. I, I want to say, God, can I get a week off? This, I, don't, I don't want to learn patience this week. I don't want to learn love this week. I don't want to learn grace this week. I don't want to even be nice this week. Just give me a week off. But God has paid us, God is paying us an intolerable compliment. One that we can't almost stand. We almost can't stand it. But he's going to keep working on us until he's finished. And sometimes it means surgery like this. Anyway, you notice as soon as the lizard's cut off, this guy becomes a giant, an immense man, naked, not much smaller than the angel. And then the lizard becomes a great stallion, and he rides off. He gets on the, um, uh, the big man gets on the stallion, he rides off. And then do you notice how he ends the chapter? How says Lewis ends the chapter? It's in italics there for you. You might not have picked up on it, but that's um, C.S. Lewis's modern translation of Psalm 110. Finally, 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 someone chooses to go on to the innermost parts of heaven. So the chapter ends with a song of celebration, Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Um, then you have just a little bit of, um, little bit of, um, of, of McDonald explaining a little bit more. So look at it. Turn over to almost the last page of the chapter. Um, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, the person visiting. Uh, do you understand this? All this, my son says. The teacher McDonald to Lewis. I don't know about all. <laughs> yeah, sir, said I. Am I right in thinking the lizard really turned into the horse? Aye, but it was killed first. You'll not forget that part of the story. I'll try not to, sir. But, it, but does it mean that everything, everything that, that is in us can go on to the mountains? Nothing, not even the best and noblest, can go on as it is now. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial, um, will be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. He's quoting Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Flesh and blood cannot come to the mountains, not because they're too rank, but because they're too weak. 
What is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with the richness and energy of desire which will arise when lust has been killed. But am I to tell them at home, back home, that this man's sensuality proved less of an obstacle than that poor woman's love for her son? Well, at least that man with the lizard got over it. We don't know about Pam. For that was at any rate an excess, this guy's saying, Lewis saying, for that was at any rate an excess of love. You'll tell them no such thing, MacDonald replies sternly. Excess of love, did you say? There was no excess, there was defect. She loved her son too little, not too much. If she had loved him more, there'd be no difficulty. I do not know how her affair will end, but it, it may well be that at the moment she's demanding to have him down with her in hell. If she really loved him, she'd let him go to heaven. That kind is something perfectly ready to plunge the soul. Uh, they say they love in endless misery if only they can still in some fashion possess it. No, no, you must draw another lesson. You must ask if the risen body... Even if appetite is as grand a horse as you saw, what would the risen body of maternal love or friendship be? What could Pam's love really be for Michael if, if, if it was redeemed by God? But once more, my attention was diverted. Is there another river, sir? I asked. He's, he's just, he's a little confused, which I understand. So, um, kind of tell me what this chapter means for you. What's your takeaway from this chapter? And beware of the price you pay for sin. Because um, again, we, we, we decorate it a lot. We decorate it and we call it good things. You know, instead of adultery, we're having an affair. You know, that's weird. To have an affair, I get in a tuxedo and go have a good time. You know, I, I mean, think about what we do. You know, we decorate it. We make it feel good. We make it look good. We make it socially acceptable. And, and, and the whole time, we're, selling, we're settling for something less than we were created to be and to do. I mean, God knows the path to pleasure. God knows the path to joy. God knows the path to fulfillment. And everything else is a poor substitute. Um, God can use all the everything else, whether it's sexual desire or love for your son. God can use that. But it's got to be on God's terms. can't be on ours. It makes us take such a, a fresh look at the things that we traditionally think are sinful and that are blocking our path to heaven because the... Supposed to know what love is 
if everything they're seeing um, that's bombarding them is, um, you know, you complete me mentality, the primetime um, versions of love. Um, so if we're not giving the message out of God's love, what's filling their minds with love is a total misconception. C.S. Lewis would be very proud. If you, if, you, if you walk away from saying, what are my idols? He would say, you've got the point of this book. Your choice. Our choices show us what our idols are, how we make them and what they are, um, how often we make them. Uh, he would say, you've got the point of the book. If you walk away thinking, wonder what the grass is like in heaven, C.S. Lewis would say, that's not what I'm talking about. But yeah, if you walk away and say, you know, where are my idols at? By the way, another piece of trivia, in our tradition, in our book of worship, we are specifically told at weddings when there's a unity candle. You know, two candles, they become one. We're specifically told, don't let those couples blow out those two candles. You do know that, right? Shake your head, yes. You don't cease be Yeah, be careful of that language. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm not complete without... Anything in that blank but God is problematic. You're still an individual. You're still an individual. You become something new... But you don't cease being the person God created you to be. Yeah, so be really careful about that kind of language. He was talking about the fact you give God the reins mm-hmm. and let God have control of your life. And I was thinking about, because um, I think, this is the first time I thought about it like that, because I think about God on His throne, and I think about who I put on the throne of my life. Mm-hmm. And that that is that is the daily practice of repentance if you repented in 1972 and hadn't done it since there's a problem <laughs> the daily practice of repentance in the book of common prayer service for daily prayer it begins with with a Time of repentance. Yeah, I mean, I've always had a problem. We're talking about the rains, God having the rains. The first time I saw the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. It didn't feel right to me. But yeah, you see what we do with stuff like that? We can take sin and, you know, if, if we made it look horrible and painful and disgusting and destructive, we would stay away from it. But yeah, we can put something sinful like God is my co-pilot. Well, you need to switch seats if that's the situation. Uh, um, yeah, we, we, that's the way we do sin. That, that is the incurvatus in say. We're good at this. You didn't mention it, but over and over again, she kept saying, my son is mine. Mine, mine, mine. mine, mine. Sounds like a two-year-old, mine, mine, mine. Somebody's trying to take away the toy. wasn't that all wrong right there? He is God's Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's why in the historic church, we, we have a service, but we the historic church is really nervous about baby dedications as opposed to anything. Yet. Because when, when somebody talks to them about dedicating their baby, even if I choose to do it, because we do have a service, the words are chosen very carefully, but I still want to make you understand that baby's not yours to dedicate. You can't say, okay, God, I'm going to be really nice to you. You can have him back. No, it's the other way around. So, again, 
language is important, but we can really not mean so. I'm sure that they sold a bunch of that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot, when it first came out until somebody finally said, wait a minute, let's think about this one. Yeah, I, that's why C.S. Lewis, the lust was almost easier to deal with than Pam's heart. That's, that's the issue. You know, neither are easy to deal with, but at least the person with lust, it, it became a stallion, and he chose heaven. You know, because he knows, because he probably got, he probably never got up in any morning and saying, I think lust is a good thing. But over here, Pam is saying, I'm a good mother. And now I'm sure people around Pam probably said, I'm not sure about that, Pam. But she had told herself she was doing right. Um, Try to do that with lust. And by the way, notice in the chapter, I'm sure, because I do the same thing, when you see the word lust, your mind goes to sexuality and sexual... You can lust over property. You can lust over money. Lust is an inordinate desire for anything. Lust is that, that, that internal sinful nature that says, I'm, I never have enough. I don't care if it's property, beachfront property. I don't care what. Lust is not just sex. Mm-hmm. Yep. Somebody asked Rockefeller one time, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, that's lust. So be careful. I, I don't think, prove me wrong, I don't think anywhere in that chapter lust is defined as wrong sexual activity it probably is probably is because yeah but but lust can just like when i talk when that's why the christian practice of fasting is not just from food you need to we need to practice fasting from whatever we're lusting after we need to practice fasting from whatever it is that we can't let go of. And again, we're creative. Our, our incurvatus in say personality is very creative. Um, yeah. So he's saying seek God first and beware of sinful nature that Satan will take advantage of and drag us down the wrong road. And he's so seductive. Again, screw tape letters. He's so seductive. I mean, you can read in screw tape letters where um, uh, uh, Wormwood is being taught to go after Christians and make them like Pam. Because Pam never realizes she's not, she's not doing it right. Yeah, do you love, you know, do you love your child enough to... To let him go if necessary, and I mean here she she wants I mean she's she really we don't know if she took him to hell well she couldn't she couldn't take him to hell theologically but she could have she would wanted to she was arguing to take her son to hell the the Puritans used to ask and I won't get into the whole theology of predestination but it's a good question the Puritans used to ask people who were coming before them to be ordained for the gospel ministry, are you willing to be damned for the glory of God? In other words, 
Are you just doing this because you're going to get heaven out of it? You're just doing this because, I mean, or are you willing to do it because God wants you to do it? I remember one time when I was teaching undergraduates at a college, I said, I said is, is there any reason to be Christian if heaven wasn't a reality? Well, that group of undergraduates thought, of course not. <laughs> I mean, if I'm not living well to get to heaven, no. Let me live like I want to live. Yeah, when, when, I, when I said, just think about taking heaven out of the equation, would you be Christian? Well, they, yeah. They all, that, that, that's, that's, that's when Christians turn heaven into fire insurance or Jesus into fire insurance. I mean, I'm, I, heaven's going to be amazing. But again, I'm not f- following God because I want to go to heaven. I'm following God because of who God is. You know, I'm desiring God, not because he's going to give me heaven or healing or a long life. All that's great. But again, you've got to order your loves correctly, Augustine said. You know, you've got to order your loves correctly. So, um, we're in the short rows now. You're really just going to encounter one more vignette. And it's a good one. I mean, good in the sense that when you meet Sarah Smith, um, there's a reason this is a lengthy, rather lengthy section compared to the other vignettes in the study. So, yeah, we are. In two weeks, we wrap up what it is C.S. Lewis trying to say to us. So um, let's pray together. God, we're so grateful for who you are. Birth in us a desire to know you, birth in us a desire to serve you, birth in us a desire to desire you above all else in life. Lord, the most important thing we want for our journey is that we journey with you. God, give us the grace to know that everything else is secondary. Help us to appropriately, to rightfully, to righteously order our loves. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Keep reading. You're almost there.